welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Well, good morning. It's good to be, uh, good to be here. Actually, pretty good to be anywhere. Um, <laughs> grateful. Uh, and today we're, we're going to talk about, I mean, this, this prayer that Darren's prayed and the season we're in uh, with Harvest India and other, other places, we want to talk about how do we process grief? How do we process loss? What's it for in this world? And how do we, how do we leverage loss for the sake of the kingdom? Um, and so part of our emotionally healthy discipleship conversation, we recognize that if we're going to be mature spiritually, as Faith mentioned, that's got to show up in things like love and joy and peace and patience. If it doesn't, there's probably nothing necessarily wrong with the spiritual side. It could very well be that the emotional side that the spirit is attempting to penetrate is blocked off full access for the emergence of love, joy, peace, patience, yeah? Uh, And so we wanna talk about um, these two aspects particularly. How do we embrace, hard word, but how do we embrace limitations and loss for the increase of capacity for the life of Christ within us? That's That's the task for this morning. And so I'd invite you um, to attend to these framing texts. If you've been part of the garden for any length of time, you know these are kind of anchor texts for us. But they get us uh, where we're going this morning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You know it. God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This does not sound like loss and limitation, but it is. You are not the image of God. You are part of the image of God, which means that those folks sitting around you need you to be fully yourself and then end so that they beside you can be fully themselves and then end so that God can be imaged in the mosaic that is all of us together. If we bleed over into one another's lane, God's not imaged without compromise. Limitation is not a restriction on image, it's a necessity for image. If we are gonna be co-creators with God, we need to get really good at limitations. He's the only one whose unlimited capacity to create doesn't wreak havoc in his creation. He's the only one that does that. We are given limitations as the stuff of creation to partner with God in creation. I wrote a reflection on that earlier this week because it just was working on this and it just hit me. How great are limitations for the musician who within eight notes has to create a melody that is original? 
how beautiful for the artist to have three, not four, three primary colors within which to express the technicolor beauty of the universe. How wonderful for the architect faced with an odd-shaped piece of ground to imagine a building arising from that odd shape that takes advantage of the limitations and maximizes them to co-creativity. Am I making myself clear? This is why limitation is so critical if we're going to be the limit, the image of God. Limits arise out of our dependence on God because you'll notice we are not given dominion over other persons. We are not given, not men over women, not big over small, not one race over another race. If God is going to be imaged wisely and well, we have learned this year, have we not? that we each need to stay in our own lane and honor and respect and celebrate those who are beside us with whom we share the road. Limitations are fundamental to what it means for us to be the people of God. They are not limits on our humanity, they enable us to be human. They are not the products of brokenness, they are the way to wholeness which can only be experienced not in emphasizing our brokenness, not in emphasizing our diversity, but embracing our unity and playing our part in that larger unity. So that's Genesis 1. Genesis uh, 2 goes on a little bit further and gives us a framework for understanding what has happened to the beautiful world that God had imagined here. In Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. Please notice that co-creative aspect is fundamental to that creation. God said, uh, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. How many of you all know there's all kinds of ways of dying? all kinds of ways of dying. And of course, you know that this is kind of foreshadowing what happened. We, in fact, did not take God seriously. We, in fact, took from that fruit. We experienced existentially the knowledge of good and evil, and we discovered we're not built for it. It's going to kill us. It's going to tear us apart. It's going to disintegrate us. We are going to vibrate into little pieces. So that essential unity that is enabling our co-creativity without damage to the creation but care for the creation, all of a sudden now becomes a means of competition. It now becomes a means of the measuring of my value versus your value. It now all of a sudden becomes a, an issue of envy, an issue of jealousy. My, my lane isn't as wide as that person's lane, or my uh, vehicle isn't that way that that person's vehicle. Op all kinds of things. We start to disintegrate. We start to fall apart. We start to die. The truth is we're built for co-creative partnership in the garden and we will hunger and long for it until we are home again we don't feel at home anywhere else as much as we try as much as we try 
We want to buy a house. We want to set down roots. And as soon as we do, guess what? We discover our heart is still pulling itself out of our being. And we grab hold of the dirt to hang on. Only to discover that the more we hang on to the dirt, the more we die. Because we're not built for the dirt. We're built for the heavens. Eternity is in our hearts. So this backdrop against this backdrop of necessary limitation, now comes this compounding by chosen deaths and disappointments. Because here's the thing. If eternity is in your heart, if you are going to live forever, and you are, then everything around you has to be jettisoned at some point. Because you're going to live forever and nothing else is. Not your house, not your job, not your relationships. Everything has to be released for the receiving of the new. When Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, he was not being mean. He was being wise. If we don't let death bury death, guess what happens to us who cling to that which has died? We're not built for death. We're built for life. Oh, by the way, we're Easter people. Guess what death is the doorway to? Death is the doorway to life. So the more we resist it, the more we treasure it, the more we choose, guess what we miss out on? We miss out on death and we miss out on the life that follows death. So grief, loss, mourning is how we have to identify and process these losses in the way of Jesus. You'll notice that he knew how to do this really well. Here's the story in John chapter 11. Jesus saw Mary weeping, Martha weeping. His best friend had died. His best friend had died. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. I want you to notice a couple of layers of response here. First, Jesus grieves with those who grieve. He, he holds Mary. He holds Martha. They are his beloved friends. He is going to stay with them the last week of his life. He is going to overnight at their home. And just sit with that for a minute, would you? As a human being, on his way within four, three, two, one day from the cross, Jesus spent the evening with somebody he had raised from the dead and his sisters. In this moment, however, he is with them in their deepest grief, he is poured out at a profound level, not simply for the loss that they have experienced, 
but for how this loss reflects and symbolizes all of the losses. He stands, can you imagine this? He stands, resurrection and life in a cemetery and looks around him at the grave markers and says, this is not how it was supposed to be. He is gutted. That's the language that's used here. There's no stronger word in the Greek language to reflect what's happening in Jesus' heart. And it's not just obviously it is his friend, but you know how it is. Sometimes the individual touches the universal. In the loss of a loved one, your heart is opened wide to something that's much bigger than yourself. You stare down into your parent's grave as I did mine, and you realize, oh, this isn't just about their loss. This is about a world that's gone sideways, and God's tears are weeping from the heavens. Because he told us, it doesn't have to be this way. I told you. I told you. I told you. I warned you. And Jesus wept. Heartbroken. And thereby modeled for us how both individual and universal losses are to be received, held close, and released. This is hard for us because sometimes, as you experience, grief is the response to an actual death of a parent, of a child, of a spouse, a friend. And these are obviously the most profound of our losses. But the truth is, loss is a permanent part of this existence until we get home. And not just the losses of loved ones, I'm guessing if I were to take a survey that every one of us have experienced losses of varying kinds. The losses of a dream, loss of of a relationship, or maybe you ended up in the relationship and the loss of what it could have been, what you would hope that it would have been, right? I I mean, this weekend for me is always a painful weekend. It's weekend of commencement. And uh, we walked, I don't know, 500 and a quarter students receiving bachelor's and master's degrees at the university I teach at, Vanguard University. And every, every year, it, it just hits me. Because I've walked with some of these kids for two or three years in, in regular coffee conversations. And some of them, I know I'm going to keep on touch with. We've already got things on the, on the calendar for the next months. I've been meeting with some of my f- former friends and students for 20 years. I love it. And some of them I'll never see again. That gives me pause. I applaud their accomplishment and grieve the loss of seeing them every Tuesday and when, or when, Monday and Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock. You, you know? Uh, I've, I'm, walked with, I'm walking with somebody who has chosen to step out of the workforce in retirement. And there's a celebration. This is what they've moved for, they've saved for, they've planned for. And the morning after, the, after they retire, they wake up and have nowhere to go. Loss. Loss. Yep, you're built for it. Get used to it. Get good at it because it's going to not end with this. And I don't want to be frivolous here, but can we, can we, can we start to say, Oh, we should, we should probably have expected this. You know, I've, I've, I've done weddings 
where within days after they get back from the honeymoon, bride and or groom, can we talk? Is it normal for me to feel really grateful for the gift of my husband or wife and at the same time heartbroken and sad for the loss of my single life? Yup. Now you can't go back. Let the dead bury the dead. But yes, you, 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 you lose on the way out, right? And, 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 and some of us are grieving children who didn't turn out quite the way we hoped they would. In fact, if you've been a good parent, that's all of your kids. You release them to themselves, not your vision of themselves. And that's a sadness on Mother's Day, isn't it? Remember what, remember what that mean old prophet said to Mary when she brought baby Jesus, baby Jesus, <laughs> to be dedicated. Oh, girl, a sword is going to pierce your heart. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying what all mothers everywhere who are paying attention know for certain. That baby who ripped your body apart on his way to escape is going to keep running. <laughs> He's going to become himself. He's going to be, she's going to become herself. And she's going to leave you. He's going to leave you behind. As Jesus said, who is my mother? As Jesus said, disappointing Jesus. I hope you heard how I said that. Said, who is my mother? You want to talk grief? Look at Mary in the splash zone of the cross. As through blood-stained eyes, Jesus looks out in her and says, Woman, behold your son. Son, John, behold your mother. We better get good at grief. Because truth is, sometimes we have to grieve our parents before they actually die. We come to the conclusion that as our journey as sons and daughters has emerged into a wholeness of being, we recognize that our moms and dads are just stuck. Our mom can't be anything but a mom. God. You made her for so much more than that. Nothing wrong with being a mom. Thank God we're here. But if your sole purpose in life is being a mom, please notice how crippling that is on your children who want to become adults in their own right. Mm. Mm. My dad is still stuck on that homecoming catch when he was 18 in the high school homecoming game. He's 78 years old and still tells the story. Can you imagine what it's like to have the highlight of your life when you're 18? 
or 25 or 40 or 60. You're built for eternity. You're built for eternity because we don't just grieve the losses, do we? We grieve the successes too. And how many of you have been more crippled by your successes clinging to the past than by your failures? This is why grief needs to become part of our, our journey. We, 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 we have to lean into it, grieving over the abuse maybe and losses you experienced as a child, grieving over all that was lost. Maybe you've made some decisions. If you've been human, have made decisions. Not all of them probably turned out real good. You want to redeem them? Stop clinging to them with shame and release them to the glory and goodness of God. Stop beating yourself up for your stupid. Let the dead bury the dead and discover that what you thought was poop is actually fertilizer. <laughs> there are other words. By the way, you won't do that, right? If you build a little shrine to the poop. You, you know what I'm talking about? Where, where every night in the middle of the night, you're circling back around that embarrassment, circling back around that shame, circling every conversation, every moment. You circle back around. Uh-uh, you're not going to move past until you grieve the loss. Anybody starting to get the idea that grief might not be actually such a bad idea? It's the hardest and most necessary thing we do on our way to eternity. And of course, part of this has to come in with the embrace of our limitations. Because we discover that our bodies are getting older. Our brains don't work the way they used to. Our creativity isn't quite what it used to be. And in, in the release of those things, we discover, oh wait, there are new vistas, new avenues, new ways of exploration on the other side of those limitations that I hadn't even imagined was possible, including getting out of the way so someone else can rise and you can support them in the journey. This conversation is obviously much deeper than I can manage here in the first 20, 25 minutes that we've got. We're going to actually be recording a conversation on this tomorrow, uh, and uh, it'll be released. Hector and I are going to be having a conversation on this. It'll be released later on this week if you want to kind of keep on track with some of this uh, a little bit more deeply. But in the meantime, let me suggest there are a few things that we want to do because I'm now beginning to think, and those of you who have been in class with me know, that grief is a gift. It's one of the three protector emotions along with fear and anger that, enable God, that God has given us to enable us to process grief particularly, our losses, so they don't define us. We can, we can wring the benefit out of them and then let them go. That's what grief is supposed to be. So the first thing that we don't want to avoid on our way to embracing the power of grief is to deny it. Or on the other side, to rush through it because we want to get to the other side. 
Your soul is really good at grief. It knows how to do it. Just let it have its head in this moment. Feel what you feel when you feel it. Don't feel what you don't feel when you don't feel it. That's hard because I don't, grief makes me feel sad. It makes me feel weak. It makes me feel out of control. Guess what? You are. It's good to feel out of control when you actually are. You do harm to yourself and others when you're out of control and pretend you're not because you're trying to control everybody around you, right? As a, as a way of managing. So, so grief is a way of, 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 of managing loss. We don't wanna medicate it, we don't wanna deny it, we don't wanna hide from, hide from it. The more significant the loss, the longer it's gonna be. If you've lost a loved one who is particularly close to you, a parent, a child, you're gonna probably be in the valley of the shadow of death for a good 12 to 18 months through all the anniversaries, through all of the birthdays, through all of the familiar places, through the fragrance of their favorite meal cooking. Yeah. I should be over it. No, you shouldn't. My mom died in 1984. Mother's Day is really hard. Today. Hmm? It's okay. I let myself feel sad. And then I rejoice for the mother that I get to live with. Do you see? Two, don't get stuck in your grief. It's got to serve a purpose. It's not your final resting place unless you won't let go of it. Now, because sometimes we walk around like perpetual victims. You, you, You know what I mean? It's like we want people to ask so we can tell them how miserable we are. No, 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 no. Jesus is pretty clear on this. Stand up. He told David, stand up, wash your face. Keep, keep moving. Don't get stuck. Right? And, 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 and we, we don't want the excuses that grief gives us. We want to take advantage of the gift that grief gives us. We don't want to catastrophize it. We don't want to make it bigger than it is. We have to calibrate our losses to the degree of the loss. If I've suffered the loss of a loved one, that's a whole other layer of loss than the loss of a, of a job or the loss of an apartment or the loss of a friendship. All of those are in varying layers. And we, one of the things we probably should, should ask is how, do, how, how, where did that loss come from? Was it the loss of an expectation? that I probably shouldn't have had in the first place. What was I thinking to expect that of someone? The, the, I mean, you guys know this, but the first blip in the divorce statistics is six months. Why? Because she's not, he's not, it's not what I expected it to be. Grieve the loss and move on. You got about 50 years left. <laughs> Don't get stuck. Do you, do you know what I mean? So pay attention to the losses in these strategies. Pay attention to the losses. And this, of course, will reflect where we're going in our emotionally healthy uh, um, curriculum. Pay attention to them. Own them as real without amplifying them. If you want a strategy for this, follow Jesus' strategy and pray your pain. Notice the language I'm using. 
Pray your pain. Don't pray about it. Pray it. That's what lament is, is praying pain. Listen to this from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day in sorrow, have sorrow in my heart? How long will this enemy triumph over me? Look on me, answer me, Lord. Give light to my eyes. I'll sleep in death. The enemy will say I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. I trust, however, in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I sing the Lord's praise because he has been good to me. He's praying both about his pain and his sense of abandonment, and he's lifting up his pain to the Lord. Pay attention to the loss and pray them. Learn to wait. Secondly, learn to wait in the pain and confusion. It's the hardest thing because we want to get on with things. But until what is being worked has been worked to move on is to delay the work. It slows it down. If you don't grieve well now, you'll be grieving poorly for a long, 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 long time and you will become defined by your loss rather than by your life. Then allow the arrival of the new. This isn't a betrayal of the loss of the loved one. When my, when my mom dad died, uh, my, excuse me, when my dad died, my sister and I were given permission finally for the first time, it'll tell you something about my dad, to go into his apartment. He was, he was too dead to not let us go. And I don't mean that facetiously. If you knew my dad, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. When we walked in, all of my mom's clothes were still hanging. Her cosmetics case was exactly where it was in the bathroom on the day that she went to the hospital for the last time. When my mom died, my dad died too. His body took a while to catch up. Mm-mm. It was hard. And I don't, I don't shame my dad for that. I just recognize what it was about. But friends, don't cling. Don't cling because you won't have hands open and empty enough to receive the new that is coming by the space that's been created. Because the goal of grief is to create space. Grief is the excavator of the soul. It's the deep digger of the soul. And you know this, you know this, that the deeper the foundation, the broader the footings, the taller and higher the tower of the life that can be built on it. We look as Jesus did at death and say, bring it on. Not, not, with, not with, with, with silliness, but with a genuine understanding. A genuine understanding, I need a lot of soil removed because my life is bigger than I am. Grief opens up the possibilities of expansion, the newness of what is happening. Jesus said it, unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it springs forth. 
to new life. We are Easter people. So we grieve, but not as if we didn't have any hope. And then finally, receive the gift of limits. This is the nature of our humility. It's the nature of our humanity. The reality is your physical body, the reality of its unique goodness and beauty includes the fact that it's aging. The way your brain works or doesn't. Some of you, like me, have a slight learning disorder, reading disability. Others of you have learning disabilities of varying kinds. What are you going to do about that? I don't want to be mean, but that's the unique gift of you. Figure it out. Do you know what I mean? My sister can read a book. Not me. I got to read a paragraph, and then I got to go back and read the paragraph again. Then I got to go back and read the paragraph again. Finally, the fifth time through, it's like, I think I know what's going on here. That's why my bachelor's degree took me six years. My master's degree took me 13, and my doctorate took me eight. Did you hear what I just said? I wanted a doctorate. So I had to read all my textbooks while everybody else was wandering around. Am I making sense? What are the things that you have used as excuses to not show up in your own life? Cut it out. God needs you to be his image. He needs you to be fully yourself without excuses present in your own broken life. Why? Because the space in your soul is the place of connection to somebody else's. We don't need you to be all that in a bag of chips. Well, we do need you to be that. Because somebody's coming alongside you with a point of connection, your vulnerability, your brokenness is how they are going to connect to you and how the image of God is going to be seen in the world. Limitations, vulnerability are the points of connection. That's the shadow side. Your personality, your temperament, your frustration, your fear, your anger. Don't you be getting in there trying to fix that. Offer it up. Maybe your anger is actually the fearful side of passion and needs to be recalibrated by the grace of God for the pursuit of a higher goal. Do you see what I'm after here? So we invite this awareness. Limitations are necessary for creativity. It's the seedbed of the new and imagined unimagined co-creativity. So, Peter, James, Paul, Jesus, everybody tells us, get used to this. Life is tough, then you die. Happiest people are those who know that. Unhappiest are those who expect things other than that. That's not Jesus, that's M. Scott Peck. What does this mean? Well, don't be surprised when life happens. Get good at dying because then you discover you get good at living on the other side. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you for the privilege of this moment, privilege of this conversation. I thank you for the patience of these good people. I pray, O oh Lord, that as we release ourselves to your structure, your pattern of loss for the purpose of emptiness, for the purpose of filling, we will say yes with tears in our eyes to the losses, to the limitations, so that we can say yes with laughter in our voices to the new that you are creating space for. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.